0: News Radio Original Podcasts. This is The Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Brian Seltzer and Sabrina boyd Circa. Now, it's January 11th, 2022, and just two days ago, America lost one of its foremost TV dads, Bob Sackett, who played the role of Danny Tanner on Full House. You also know him as the original host of America's Funniest Home Videos passed away suddenly at age 65 down in orlando florida
1: we talked about this a bit yesterday and i'm kind of almost still in shock like you don't realize the absence of these celebrities when they pass They're, they're not in your everyday life so it's hard to see their absence but this is danny tanner man i mean i definitely grew up on full house brian i think you probably did as well pretty much everyone our age did
2: Absolutely did. It was on all the time. I think they did weekday reruns when I was like coming home from school, and then they had the new episodes on TGIF. For me, it's always tricky when famous people pass away, or they can even still be living, what type of value or stock to put in the comments of their celebrity peers. It's a world I have no way of identifying, to. So it's always hard for me to wrap my mind around that. But I think what's really awesome is we're going to hear from someone who actually has a real sense of not only who Bob Saget was at the time that he passed, but who he was before he hit it big. I think it's going to be neat to hear about that.
1: I think Jeff Ash qualifies as a little bit of a celebrity peer in Philadelphia. Of course, anyway. yes.
2: <laughs> yes, excuse me, egregious mistake.
1: <laughs> but yes, also a personal friend.
0: He was a Philadelphia native, and that death really has hit a lot of people hard around here, too, over the last couple of days. It's been one of the main things people have talked about. We talk about feeling like we knew Danny Tanner. We knew the guy from America's Funniest Home Videos. As mentioned, KYW News Radio anchor Jeff Ash knew the man Bob Saget. Knew Bob Saget when he was just a teenager working in a supermarket with him. He grew up with him. And Jeff will join us a little bit later on on this podcast to talk about the life of Bob Saget, his friendship with Bob, and really get into what it was like knowing him as he was climbing the ladder. We'll have that coming up. But first, let's get to a rundown of our Tuesday headlines. And we start with a check-in on COVID in schools. And even more Philadelphia schools have started to go remote, plus in New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says that their statewide school mask mandate is going to continue for the foreseeable future. And it just seems like all of this continues to just develop day by day that we don't know what's happening as we continue to roll through this.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting in New Jersey because Governor Murphy said they're going to extend this mask mandate for the foreseeable future. But it's not really clear exactly how. It's still up in the air whether or not the legislature will extend his emergency powers. But here's what Governor Murphy himself said yesterday.
3: The mandate uh, is going to have to stay in place for some amount of time longer, not forever and always, but we cannot responsibly in the teeth of this tsunami change gears on
1: this. So I don't know exactly how that works when the state Senate, current state Senate President Steve Sweeney scrapped a vote yesterday about whether or not to extend the governor's emergency powers. I don't really know what's next, but of course, we'll be following and we'll find out.
0: And it's coming at a time as Sweeney is basically got one foot out the door himself because he was voted out of office in November. But it's it feels like a slight fait accompli because it's a high probability they're going to extend his emergency powers in New Jersey, but they feel like he didn't give them enough notice and they're going to do a little political thing. It's part of the way that things are running, unfortunately, these days. But we mentioned it's Philadelphia, it's New Jersey, and it's also Delaware. They're implementing a statewide indoor mask mandate, and they're extending their mask requirements for schools and child care facilities down there as well because
2: their hospitals have also become more stressed out due to COVID. Yeah, guys, one of the stories that has caught my eye as far as like trying to make sense of what we should do or shouldn't do, I don't think anyone can disagree that (laughs) right now with Omicron, it's spreading out of control. People who are vaxxed getting it regularly, something's got to be done to try and get it under control. But I'm always looking for changes in the stories from the perspective of experts, people who are really in the weeds with this. And CHOP has a policy lab director. His name is David Rubin, and I thought that David Rubin had some really interesting comments about how things might be changing as far as what a leading institution like CHOP is recommending for best practices in trying to keep this under control.
0: We no longer, as, as uh, some of my colleagues would say, need to chase mild disease. And I think it was really important. I think there's a state of panic out there, you know, given what's going on, that that our hospital step forward to try to to uh, change the perception out there for most people.
2: I'll only speak for myself. I feel that sometimes from this, like coming at it from a news angle standpoint, at least for me, I feel like my first reaction is to look at what's negative about the news and focus on that and make a story out of that. But I also think that we have an obligation to talk about positive stuff. Like it might be easy to say, new variant, spreading, freak out. It's really, really serious. But I think that when... Places like CHOP and Jennifer Hamilton from Drexel, who was on in-depth with Matt Leon last week, are saying, like, yes, be vigilant, but also pay attention to what the virus is doing. I think that we need to take that, too, and um, we shouldn't be afraid to embrace what might be interpreted as good news or how we can live with this better as we learn more about it.
0: You want to embrace it as something because there does feel like it's this huge panic, but you look around and, yeah, it's not good. It could be way better, but it's not nearly the depths of where we were. A year, year and a half ago.
1: Yeah, you know, I sort of straddle two sides, I think, because I the panic can definitely get into my head. And and people are saying, oh, your regular cloth mask isn't gonna work. You need an N95, or you know, you really shouldn't gather in groups, even if you are vaccinated. And I start to think, like, okay, what should do I need to go back into full lockdown? And I don't think it's that extreme. On the other hand, I do hear things like these new suggestions from the children's hospital. And I think part of me is hesitant at first. So one of the big things that they're saying is that kids and staff who are exposed to COVID can stay in the classroom, don't need to test if they're asymptomatic. It's a mask to stay policy. So as long as they wear a mask, they can stay in the classroom. Feels a little weird to me. But then at the same time, you know, if you're vaccinated, maybe that is okay. I mean, bottom line, listen to the experts. So who am I to to say anything here? But I understand both sides, I think.
2: One more thing that Ruben said that jumped out to me was, we're all exposed. And that, to me, to hear an expert say that confirms something that I've been talking about with my family and friends. Like right now, with the way this is going, <laughs> we're all going to get exposed. So how do you come up with a solution that allows you to live life? Because I just think the secondary... Well, it might not even be secondary. Mental health effects, it could be primary for some people having to go back to what it was in the very beginning and acting like that. Um, I mean, there could be some some really far-reaching effects of that.
1: I think it can be kind of jarring to hear Dr. Rubin say that. We're all exposed, and then he doesn't think we can even do contact tracing anymore, which at first is like, well, I thought contact tracing was like the thing that was going to be one of the biggest solutions. But he's kind of right that, you know... How do you know if you're seeing groups of people, you can't tell exactly who or where you got it. And it might be to the point where contact tracing is too hard for us to deal with. And we should be focusing more on treating people who do have symptoms.
0: It feels like we're probably two steps behind this. We've been playing catch up and chasing this thing from the very beginning. Contact tracing, which was big in the beginning. Now, yeah, it's everywhere. It's out here. The only way to try to get ahead of this is to get vaccinated. If you are staying at home to stay safe, and you may also be participating in dry January, since we're coming out of Christmas and everything else, you might want something to drink, but you're not trying to drink something alcoholic, and you want to try to make yourself a mocktail. Now, Hadass Kuznets, frequent guest here on the podcast, also hosts her own podcast, What's Cooking? And she talks about mocktails that are getting more and more popular as we roll through the month of January there's a balance and a thought process behind it to make sure that the mocktail, regardless of whether alcohol is in it, it's still balanced and still tasteful.
1: Which is interesting because I guess that leads to the reason maybe people might have a drink. Maybe it sounds like it might be more than just that drunken feeling that alcohol gives you, but the taste of it. Well,
0: I mean, even low alk cocktails are really becoming a thing lately where people don't want to have all the excess alcohol, but they still want to have a libation. So making cocktails with less alcohol in them is actually really a thing nowadays. It's kind of weird to think about. You know, you, you think of your, your bang for your buck, but that's not what people are really thinking about now. They're just thinking about the whole overall experience and the taste profile rather than how much alcohol are you putting into this cocktail. Now that's Hadas, who was speaking with Matt Deutsch, the beverage director at FCM Hospitality. What do you guys think of mocktails. I, I'm, I haven't been a big mocktail guy, but at least I'm somewhat interested in that sort of thing.
1: I'm all for it. I love the idea. Uh, I can't say that I've been participating in dry January, to be honest, but after the holidays, I did kind of think about maybe I'll just drink a little bit less, a little, you know, not too excess. Um, but mocktails can be good year round, I think. You know, I've had a lot of friends who have had children recently, so pregnant women are always looking for a way to participate socially without drinking alcohol or if you're the designated driver or if you just don't want to drink. I think we need to normalize not drinking at social gatherings. It's okay to not have alcohol. You can still have fun, and maybe mocktails will help with that.
0: Normalize not just the idea of you don't have to drink at gatherings. I tweeted this on New Year's, New Year's Eve. Normalize not asking people why they're not drinking either. yes. Some people are sober or trying to practice or get their sobriety in order. Some people are just like me, just not fond of drinking. You don't need to question everybody if they're not drinking either. But mocktails give you a nice way, if
2: nothing else, to to stop people from asking those silly questions. I think mocktails, much like the low ABV, more crushable... Beers, craft beers. I think mocktails is a nice solution for people as they begin to age gracefully in their mid-30s and may or may not have kids. Your body catches up to you, all that stuff. And you can't take the impact, the hit, the punch to the gut, so to speak, that a high ABV alcoholic beverage might have on you. So I support the mocktail. I'm not a big booze guy. If I'm going to have a cocktail, it's because I like the taste. I'm not really doing it at least at this age for uh the abv after effects so um i'm a huge fan of those crushable uh high flavor beers that are low in abv so i say translate that more to cocktails i think it will be a well-embraced trend and movement
1: I definitely feel that, Brian. I'm in the same boat of uh, aging gracefully. I like that term.
2: <laughs> aging gracefully.
0: Um, <laughs> Both of you guys are.
2: It's got to start at some point, right? As mid-30s. the resident old guy <laughs> out
0: of the three of us, I guess. The it's like you start to realize it in about your mid-thirties of just how many exactly how many shots you have left on that bump card of yours when you when you start when you take a couple of sips there and it and it hits a little different. Like, whoa, I I used to be able to handle two of these and now (laughs) I'm halfway home on the first and I think I'm going to call it a night right here. Mocktails help out. It helps keep the party going and you don't feel that same way you would if you had one too many drinks.
1: I think you also brought up a good point, Brian, is like I've always wondered and I would love to take a poll of why people drink. There are people who drink to get drunk. Obviously, they're not going to have a mocktail. There are people who drink for the taste, which like – Sometimes I do that, but then sometimes, like, I don't really like the taste of hard liquor. It needs to be mixed pretty well. In that case, why not just have a mocktail if it tastes good? If you don't care about the alcohol content, just drink something that tastes good.
2: Yeah, I'm with you.
0: That's the best way to handle dry January. If it helps kind of get you right for the new year, go for it. And plus, you never know. Some of these mocktails are not bad from what I've seen either. There's a there's a couple places I'd love to actually try out once we can get around this pandemic that be able to actually see how good they are. And by the way, you can check out all of our headlines, including the headlines, of course, dealing with those wonderful mocktails on our website, kywnewsradio.com. And we are still just in shock over the sudden death of Bob Saget. And he especially meant a lot to his friend and ours, KYW anchor Jeff Ash. So after this quick break, We'll talk with Jeff about their friendship and what Bob Saget was like as a teenager and off-screen. Stay with us here. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer, and you're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. And we were talking about the life of the great Bob Saget that we lost on Sunday. And we know a lot of you who listen to KWW News Radio know our anchor and our good friend Jeff Ash. But what you may not know is that Jeff was good friends with Bob Saget, and he's here to share some memories with us. Jeff, first time you're joining us here on the rundown. Thanks for coming on with us, despite unfortunately the reason for doing so. It's always good to see you, sir.
3: Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: So, Jeff, kind of give us the story of how you and Bob Saget became such good friends. How did you guys end up meeting?
3: Well, in, in real life, <laughs> his father was my father's boss. My father and Bob's father then worked for a now defunct supermarket chain called Food Fair, which a lot of Philadelphians I'm sure would remember. And Food Fair spun off into a store called Pantry Pride. When Bob and I were old enough, our fathers got us jobs at the supermarket. And Bob and I worked at store number 593, I'll always remember that, which is in uh, Wincote at Cedar Brook Mall. And Bob was a deli man. He cut the deli, you know, cut all the, the meats for, for customers, and I was a cashier. And in addition to our fathers uh, working together, Bob and I worked together, and then we ended up going to Temple University and, and majoring in the same uh, communications at the time, it was called Radio, Television, and Film. So that that's it in a nutshell. And
0: just picture, knowing what we know about you, Jeff, in the newsroom, the sense of humor between the two of you had to be something in that supermarket. Uh, what were some of the memories of, of course, we have to be careful about some of the conversations we have here, but what are some of the memories that you have of Bob and just any memories of him being funny enough where you thought he could become essentially the one of the comedy icons that he became in this country.
3: Yeah. Uh, let's start with, he, he came up to the, the front of the store one day and said, Jeff, you want a chiclet? And I said, sure. So I put a couple of chiclets in my mouth. And as it turned out, they were, I think they were called phenomint, which is a laxative. Oh, no. <laughs> so let's, let's start with that. <laughs> So uh, my eight-hour shift, most of it was uh, spent running back to the to the bathroom, the back of the warehouse. Oh. But um, Bob was always outrageous. So let me let me just use that word. He would do and say things that would just were over the top. He he had a very corny but raunchy sense of humor. Uh, we made a film together for Temple University for one of his classes because he majored in film. Uh, it was called The Deli Man, and it was the life, a uh, day in the life of a guy that worked behind the deli counter. So Bob would say something like, the deli man would make the corned beef lean. So he would take a slab of corned beef and tilt it. And that's how he made it <laughs> lean, to play on words. You know, no fat, but he it lean. Uh, then he would say the deli man at the end of the day will put locks on the cases to make sure that they're secure for the evening. So he would take a, a hunk of Nova Scotia locks and smack it onto the case. <laughs> and that was his way of putting locks on the cases at night.
1: Very punny. So, you
3: know, when, when you're, yeah, when you're 18, 19 years old, this is, this is funny. Not so funny now, maybe, but, but That's... back then it was, and, and I knew that, he had ambition and drive and and he really wanted to become a film director uh, and producer. He wanted to make movies. And then when he got out to Los Angeles, it kind of slipped into more of, of the comedy part of his career.
0: So what was it like for you when you saw that he got to L.A. and that the proverbial big breaks started coming? You're here in Philadelphia. This guy who's just one of us out here goes to L.A. and becomes slowly becomes his megastar. What's that like for for you, having grown I up was, with him?
3: It, it was awesome. I, I couldn't have been happier. The first time I remember him becoming a quote-unquote star, which which he was, he started co-hosting the CBS Morning News. And I, I want to say somewhere in the mid-'80s. My, my timing may be a little off. And to see a friend of yours on network television in that role was... Unbelievable. And then the next thing you know, he's on America's Funniest Home Videos. And the next thing you know, he's on Full House. And people don't realize this, but at the time, he was the host of a show and the star of a show that were two of the top three or four TV shows in the country at the same time. I mean, that that was huge. So to answer your question, I was just so happy for him. I, I couldn't have been more thrilled.
0: It's interesting you bring that up because I do remember because Friday nights would be Full House and then Sunday nights are America's Funniest Home Video. So you start and end the weekend kind of bookended by Bob Saget. Right. And we've been reading some of the tributes over the last few days. And what was he like off screen? How did he manage to kind of keep that together despite being one of the biggest stars on television?
3: He he would flip a switch. He would be – when he did his stand-up, he was not Danny Tanner. Let me just say that. As a matter of fact, when he did his stand-up routine, he had a song in it called I'm Not Danny Tanner. (laughs) So he was raunchy, filthy, over-the-top, whatever adjective you want to use. And then as soon as he would see me or my family or friends, he would become Bob Saget again. It was almost like a switch. That wasn't Bob Saget. Neither was the Danny Tanner. I think it was somewhere in between. So he really had three personas. He had the Danny Tanner, the onstage stand-up Bob Saget, and then the regular guy Bob Saget. And he was a regular guy. He could not have treated me or my family any nicer. He was just, and people have been asking me, how would you describe him? He was a good guy. He really was a good guy.
0: From all accounts, especially coming from you and others, he sounds like he was a really a really good dude. So if you get him on stage. He's Bob Saget with the yeah. volume turned up to 50, it sounds like. But when you yeah. got him in person, he was just a genuinely just a good dude.
3: Yeah, he, he was down to earth. As a matter of fact, one of our editors at KYW is um, Quentin Clyde and our morning reporter, Tim Jimenez. The three of us went down to the Borgata a few years ago to see Bob because uh, I took them down there because they're huge Saget fans. And the whole ride down there, you don't know, Saget. You don't know. And this is, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, we sit down in our seat. Bob comes out. The first thing he says is, it's nice to be back in the area. I grew up in Abington. As a matter of fact, one of my good friends, Jeff Ash, is in the audience. And Quentin leans over and elbows me. And he goes, I guess you really do know him, don't you? <laughs> so I said, yeah, I do. And then we went backstage afterwards, and you can ask, you know, Q and Tim. He couldn't have been nicer to them. He, he just treated everybody as human beings. As, he never thought he was better or above anybody? He was just Bob Saget from Philadelphia, you know.
0: And Tim actually tweeted out that picture he took that night with Bob. It's a really, it's yeah. a really cool picture. Really, yeah. like I guess everything by every account, it sounds like he was a really good dude. I know he also. He went through some personal loss, too. And, he did. And, and knowing Bob like you did, you know, his his two sisters passed away yeah. when they were relatively young. What kind of effect did that have on him?
3: It uh, had a huge effect on him. He also has a nephew uh, who had some uh, issues as well. He lost his sisters at a, at a relatively early age. And um, Gay Saget, I believe, uh, is the one that passed away from scleroderma. And Bob got very, very involved in that charity and and tried to raise money for a scleroderma awareness. I think it really took an effect on him. Outwardly, he would be doing his shtick. But inwardly, I I think it, it really, really hurt him because he lost two of his closest people to him at such an early age.
0: You've seen him perform, and you mentioned that. He's on stage, different guy. Knowing him like you knew him, and having seen those shows, just straight up, what were his stand-up shows like for people who maybe didn't get a chance to see the other Bob Sackett?
3: Well, I don't think I can say on this podcast some of the lines that not <laughs> Does the FCC have any say? <laughs> to, uh,
0: we we um, try to take it easy as best we possibly can, but as I, I've been tempted a few times myself, but we take right. it easy as best we can.
3: You would just come out and say the most outlandish things. You talk about. People's personal parts of their body. Um, he would, you know, use the the uh, f bomb and the. I mean, it, it it was it was raunchy. I can't say it any any other way than that. I certainly can't tell you any of the lines that he used. But people loved him. He, it was almost like he had a cult following. And my wife and I, when we went to see him several years ago, looked at each other, and there were nine hundred ninety eight people behind us screaming and yelling and the two of us are like it's funny but they're going out of their minds <laughs> uh, and i always thought bob was very very funny but not to the extent that his legions of fans really really thought of him uh it's a, it's a special kind of humor no, no question about it
0: so jeff when was the last time you had gotten in touch with him because this seems to have caught a lot of people off guard he had the post on instagram and on twitter just Early Sunday, there was one where he mentioned he feels like he's, he was 26 again. He's back well, on the it, road and, and suddenly changed. What was the last time you heard from him?
3: Two things. First of all, I'm going on vacation on Wednesday, going out of the country. This is really, really weird. Uh, about four or five days ago, I went to my bookshelf, and this is the book that I wanted to take down to the Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. How weird is that? And then it's his biography, autobiography, I guess. And then he passes away a couple days later. Really, really weird. So that was the last time I really thought about him, uh, obviously, before the the day that he he passed. It's been a couple of years, to be honest. The last time I emailed him uh, was when he was engaged and I congratulated him and wished him the best in his next chapter of life. I knew his first wife. I didn't know his current wife. And I know he has three daughters, but he wrote back, you know, thank you so much. I'm, you know, so, so much in love and looking forward to uh, spending the rest of my life, you know, with this woman and um, and that was it. So it's it's been a couple of years. He was supposed to come to Philadelphia, I think in March or April and appear at the Kidswood theater. And uh, I was going to buy tickets to go see him. So, um, again, you know, that's it's it's hard stuff uh, you know, I won't be able to see him uh, coming up in a couple of months.
0: If there's one thing you want people to know about the man, Bob Saget, as opposed to the actor, the director, the comedian, what what is it that you'd like people to know about him?
3: Uh, He always wanted to put a smile on your face, but um, he cared about you. You would ask questions about him, but he would always say, how's your wife? How are your kids? What's going on with your job? He He was a people person. He was down to earth. You know, the, the world has lost a, a great comic, a great producer, a great director, a great writer. Um, and and I've lost a friend. It's it's
0: hard. Just prior to this, you showed us a picture, an autograph photo of Bob that was in your office. Mm-hmm. Really cool picture, too. Would you be able to read for us what he wrote on that picture?
3: I, I would. Um, it says, Jeff, you have a beautiful family. The question is, why am I writing this on my 8x10? Boy, <laughs> Delhi Forever Love Bob.
0: Started in Delhi and turned into a just an amazing friendship. Jeff, this is, I know it's difficult to talk about this. You just lost a really good friend of yours. We really appreciate you coming on here, taking the time to talk to us about the man that Bob was and the effect that he had on you. And I i know it's hard for you right now, but it's greatly appreciated that you came on and did this with us. Thank you so much.
3: You're very welcome. Thank
0: you. That's W's Jeff Ash, my fellow anchor. You can hear him on KWW News Radio. He's going on vacation, so you won't hear him for a little while anyway. But – we appreciate him coming on, joining us on The Rundown, which is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith, real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. You can hear me every day on KYW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock for Philadelphia's afternoon news. Be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown, PHL. Again, The Rundown, PHL, all one word. You can listen to The Rundown for free on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcast. So for Jeff Ash, Sabrina boyd Circa, and Brian Seltzer, I'm J. Scott Smith thanking you for checking out this
3: edition of The Rundown.